Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. It's always an interesting thing, uh, at least I find, the first Sabbath year with the church, what do we speak about? What do we talk about? And the only thing that I can think about is what has been on my mind for the past few weeks, for the past few months, as we've been going through this pandemic together. And that is, uh, we want to uh, begin this journey where we are talking about what it means to define the church. So over the next few weeks together, looking through the Bible, what the Bible has to say about what the church is, where we're going to do what many of us might think is the incredibly simple thing of looking through the Bible and seeing what it says about what the church is, what the church does, these things that we usually think that we have a pretty good grasp on. But what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going to Scripture, and we're going to be allowing Scripture to challenge us a little bit. We're going to be allowing Scripture to push us a little bit, because I think that what it does when we look at some of these statements that it makes about what it means to be the church, what the church is, and what the church does, Scripture informs us and pushes us in such a way that I think is still an immense blessing to us, even here in the 21st century. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord God, we are overjoyed this morning. We are excited to open your word. Lord, we're excited to explore, and God, now I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds, Lord, and that you would point us to the message that you have for us in Scripture, and that Scripture would help form who we are this morning. And we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we get together to talk about defining the church, asking the question, what is church? How do we operate within the church? All those sorts of things. It seems like a little bit of a elementary question at first, because if you've been around church for any amount of time, whether it was from the time you were a child, or maybe you've been in the church for several years, or maybe you're new to the church, all of us come into this with kind of a preconceived notion, or our own preformed ideas of what church is and how we operate within the church. And those are usually formed very early on within our experiences, very early on uh, within our lives. I remember attending Sab school with my mother teaching when I was a child and being told, you know, the church is the house of God, the church is this, the church is that. And you form those things, at least I did, early on, and you kind of carry them with you. And in many ways, without you even realizing it, they become very uh, defining for what you believe the church is. My daughter is an interesting situation. We live in the parsonage at Bell Branch, where where we live is attached to a church building to the point that she has grown up seeing me go to work every day, walking over to the church to the point that she thinks, well, when you go to work, you go to a church to the point that she told me the other day on our drive to school that, Daddy, when I grow up, I'm going to work at a different church because you already work at this church. Even early on, we have our own definitions that we form about what church is. And so because of that, it might seem a little bit basic to many of us to undertake the study of defining what the church is because intuitively, we all kind of come to this place where we already think that we know what it is. We've already defined it for ourselves and we have carried it with us for a long time. We go to church, 
We're part of the church. We've wrapped ourselves up in what the church does. But if I can just push for a little minute here, just thinking back to the past year alone that we have experienced, when many of the traditional ways that we have defined at least what the church does have had to radically change within the past year, where there was a period of time where churches, including ours, was not able to meet together for an extended period of time. We went through a period, and we're still going through a period, now as you're the president, you're, you're leading us through this period, where the shape of the outreach of the church, at least as we define it in the traditional Adventist sense, has had to take different angles, has had to radically rethink the way that we do it in just in this age of COVID, dealing with the challenges that it has brought us. We've gotten to a point where even the shape of our worship itself has had to be redefined because of the challenges that were presented to us by COVID-19. At the very least, the past year should inform us that there are some aspects about the way that we practice and define the church that at the very least need to be thought about. Maybe either need to be defined or redefined. And in my opinion, to start this conversation, we have to ask a very simple, but what I would call a very basic and very meaningful question. And that question is, what is the church? Now, here's the thing. We are very good at defining what the church does. The church proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The church is organized for service and is God's vehicle to proclaim salvation to mankind. Absolutely. The church prays. At least it had better be praying. The church portrays the life of God's kingdom. Yes, all of these things and more. But notice, all of those things describe what the church does. What they don't do, by definition, is describe what the church is. And so the question becomes, what, by definition, is the church? And as we go to the Bible to try to discover what it says about what the church is, we're zeroing in on one particular word that the Bible uses. It's the Greek word, let's see if I can point this in the right direction. There we go. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It's the word from Greek that we have translated for the word church. It can mean other things too. It can mean a generic kind of assembly, congregation, crowd, whatever. But it's the word that when we see it, that's what we mention as the church. It's not limited to that, but when we talk about church, this is the word in the New Testament that we're looking for. And this particular word is used 114 times in the New Testament. Most of the times that it's used, it's either describing the fact that there are certain churches that exist, that they're in these places, or it's describing what those churches do. Paul in his letters uh, says, tell the churches this or that, 
Greet this church in that place for me. Tell this person from that church that I'm praying for them. Paul mentions all of these different churches and all of these different places with all of these different people that belong to those churches. There are many times in the New Testament where it describes the things that the church is doing, where the church is praying, the church is working, the church is taking offering for other churches who are struggling. Lots of different things like that. But there are only a handful, just a very few of these 114 times that this word is used, a handful of texts in the New Testament that actually describe what the church is. In fact, in many ways, you could say there are really only two of them. But the message that these two texts present is incredibly rich, I would say, and incredibly meaningful for us as we live in this 21st century world. The first text that that we see presents us a a picture that we're very familiar with when it comes to the idea of of talking about the church because it comes up a lot as we talk about the church. We see it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, where the Bible says this. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is is, that's the word we're looking for, right? His body that is the church. And this isn't really that new or that surprising or whatever to us because we are used to talking about, when we talk about church, we are used to talking about the body of Christ. To the point that many times when we're in conversation with one another, instead of using the word church, we often use the word body or body of Christ. It's a very familiar metaphor to us, but I think to get the full impact of what the Bible is really saying here, what you have to do is you have to go back a few verses. You have to see the context in which this word, Christ's body being the church, is used. So in this case, we back up to verse 18 of the same chapter, Colossians chapter 1, where it says this, and he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you. Notice notice this here. Where has he reconciled you? In his body, his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's a lot going on here in this particular passage, talking about all of these things that Jesus is, all of these things that Jesus has done. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning of a new age. He's the beginning of a new creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the fullness of God. But there's a particular point that the Bible slips in here as it's talking about his body. It says he has reconciled us in his body, which is flesh. This is two verses before it goes on to say that his body is also the church. The point 
Very simply being here, I think, that Jesus was a real being in our real world with a real body. He had a body of flesh, the Bible says. But also that the church, in its real physical shape, is also Jesus' body in a real physical world. And that just as Jesus brought the presence of God into the world through his body, the same text says, he in his body of flesh is the fullness of God. Just as Jesus brought the presence of God into the world through his body, the church, which is also Jesus' body, does the same thing. And you see a very similar idea in the second text that the church has mentioned what the church is. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. The Bible says this. I guess I'm in the right place. Okay. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. The church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And this is a text that is quite often quoted, especially among we Seventh-day Adventists, about the church being the pillar and the ground of truth, it says in one translation of the Bible. That the church has a role to play in defining and in defending the content of the faith. But what the church believes, what it teaches, according to this very same passage, is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness which it defines in the preceding lines. The very next line defining this mystery of godliness with the prominent assertion here that Jesus was manifested where? In the flesh. Again, this very simple point That Jesus lived an embodied existence, real, physical, here in our real, physical world. He was flesh and blood. And according to the New Testament, somehow this has everything to do with what it means to be the church. The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer commented on this reality, and he was thinking about these particular texts and the church being the pillar and the buttress of truth. And he wrote, he said, the thing is, when you think about doctrine and truth, that's usually what we think about when we talk about the pillar, the ground of all truth. He says, the thing is, when you think about doctrine and truth, doctrine and truth don't need bodies. They're not concrete flesh and blood. Important? Yes. But things with a physical presence? No. But then he says this. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, but the incarnate Son of God needs not only ears or hearts, but living men and women who will follow him. That is why he called his disciples into a literal bodily following and thus made fellowship with them a visible reality. 
Very simply, in the only two places where the Bible takes time to tell us what the church is rather than what the church does, it connects Jesus' physical presence in his incarnation with the physical presence of the church. That just as Jesus was physically present in the incarnation, in a body, he had a real body in our real world, Jesus is also physically present in the world because we, his church, are physically present in the world. When we ask what the church is, the answer answer that could be given among many, quite simply, in my opinion, is this. The church is the tangible body where the presence of God is made manifest in the world. What that means is that through you and me, by our virtue of being the church, we testify either in a good way or a bad way to the presence and to the reality of God in our world. And when you sit down and actually consider the immense responsibility that this is that God has given us, this is a monumental and incredibly meaningful thing. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I have encountered church in such a way that it did not bear witness to the goodness of this God. Sometimes in my own life, by my own action, by things that I have done, I have not done my part in bearing witness to the goodness of this God. Yet the good news is, this doesn't mean that God stops giving us this responsibility. This doesn't mean that God stops using the church. In fact, all the more, God continues to give grace upon grace upon grace and use us even more, even, and I would say especially in our weakness. But for us, the call remains for the church to be the thing that represents God, his mercy, his love, his goodness, in our world, that through being, uh, through our very being of the church, our call is to be the presence of God in the world. Commenting on this passage, the writer N.T. Wright says, people who allow their personal story to be reshaped around the story of Jesus himself discover that they are the assembly of the living God. And that what church is really all about is life being formed by God and then showing the goodness of that life to the world around us. I will never forget one of the greatest examples of this truth becoming a reality that I have ever seen, where the church, against all circumstances, 
and in the worst of situations, displayed the presence of God in our world, visibly, physically. I'm sure you all remember, a few years ago, a young man walked into a, a historic black church in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed innocent people simply because of the color of their skin. An evil of all evils. Not, not just to take someone's life away, an innocent person's life away, but to do so because of some ridiculous and evil ideology that says one human is inferior to another, and that is simply based on skin color. This young man caused unbearable pain to those families that will stay with them for as long as they live. And when the families of the victims, were ki- who, the people who were killed, when the families were given a chance to talk to the killer, to the young man who had done this, this is what they said. I forgive you. I will never talk to her ever again, never be able to hold her again. I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me, you hurt a lot of people, but I forgive you, said a woman whose mother was killed. Hate won't win. My grandfather and other victims died at the hands of hate. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love and that their legacies live in love. I forgive you and my family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change your ways, no matter what happens to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. And the testimony of one of the journalists who was covering the event afterward, this person who was a staunch atheist, and said, I'm a staunch atheist and there isn't much that anybody could do or say that would get me to believe in God or to consider believing in God. But at that moment, I thought, if this is what this God is like, maybe I need to rethink my atheism. It is my ardent hope and prayer that none of us ever experiences such a tragic situation. But what this situation does do is it reminds us of the powerful witness that the church has when we are faithful to our calling. When in the real, everyday world around us, with all that it brings us, we bring the presence of God, the presence of Jesus with us to whatever situation we might be encountering. This morning, what I want to do is I want to remind you, we are the body of Christ on earth. A real, physical body that interacts with a real, physical world and that can, in powerful ways, bring the presence of God to situations that desperately need it. And this morning, what I want to do is challenge you. Where are the spaces 
in your life, in your jobs, even in your church, where you can portray the goodness of God in the real, physical world. Where you can be the body of Christ that displays the presence of Jesus, not only in your life, but in the world in which we live. It's my prayer this morning that through you, through me, and through us, we can bring the presence of God to the places in our world where it is desperately needed. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you this morning for the reality that you were made manifest among us in the flesh. That, Lord, we don't worship a God who stayed high above us, Lord, giving us a set of do's and don'ts, but, Lord, we worship a God who came to be with us in the flesh to experience our weakness and infirmities and to show us life and life abundantly. Lord God, this morning, as as you have made yourself manifest in the world, you have called us to be your body. You have called us to be the vehicle by which you continue to make yourself manifest in the world. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would give us the grace. I pray that you would give us the mercy. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to live up to that calling. I pray that you would use us to bring your presence to this world. That, Lord, where there is hurt, where there is discord, Lord, where people are torn apart, that you would use us to bring your presence, your healing, reconciling, your goodness with us wherever we go. Lord, that with our lives, we would testify of the goodness of God and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would strengthen us to do all these things, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.